Thank you, Pastor Bonnie. Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. Hey, it is awesome to be with you here today. Yeah, my name is Matt. I'm the young adults pastor here, so really excited to be sharing uh, from God's word today. Really excited to be preaching. I actually love preaching, so one of my favorite things to do. Excited to share, and actually, later today, uh, my family will be here as well. My parents, my brother, my sister, my sister-in-law. My parents are actually celebrating uh, 30 years married this Tuesday, so we're going to celebrate kind of down the shore this week. We're going to be in Lavalette, and uh, we'll have kind of some fun together, so... Um, but it's it's great that they're coming because it's it's like perfect, man. You know how many times you I don't know if you have uh, siblings, brothers or sisters. How often we can blame our siblings for things that are really our fault, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you've got a brother or sister, uh, I can't tell you how many times I was running late, but it was my brother's fault. You know what I'm saying? Like I would miss the bus, and uh, it, it'd be my brother's fault. And and you may think, well, Matt, if if it's your brother's fault, why did you always miss the bus? Couldn't you have gone, you know, the bus for school? Couldn't you have gone uh, and ridden the bus by yourself without him? That's a great question, but it was always his fault. It's my brother's fault. He's the one that was holding us up all the time. And we do that because we want to pass the blame, right? I mean, we want to get out of like, it's not my fault. It's, uh, you know, his fault. And so it's, it's just a funny picture of maybe a little bit what I want to talk about today. And I loved uh, Pastor Jamal's sermon last week, talking about pandemic-proof faith. And uh, last time I preached, we were in a series called You're Not the Boss of Me, and I talked about envy and how envy is really like the enemy of peace. And so I kind of view this almost like a part two in a sense, like uh, talking about how envy is the enemy of peace. I want to talk about how we treat other people and how empathy is really kind of a vehicle to peace when you think about it. I think for our society as a whole, We don't really know how to empathize anymore. We don't know how to understand another person anymore. We just judge people. And so that's what I want to talk about is kind of the way we treat people and the way we judge people. And if you're listening and you've already kind of counted yourself out, like I was thinking about this. If I was listening right now, if I was sitting down, I'd say, oh, okay, judging people. That's not my problem. Good. Not a sermon for me today. If that's what you thought... I need you to pay attention because this is true for everyone in the room. Whether you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, man, we struggle with this sometimes. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you should know, man, dude, this is how our world works. And so uh, when he came in, too, on the back of our, um, on the back of the bulletin, we have kind of some notes, too. So if you want to fill along, I'll be giving you those as we go along. If you're a note taker, I love taking notes. And so why do, we, why do we do this? Why do we judge others? And I kind of already alluded to one, to shift the blame. We want to point out other people's flaws so we can shift the blame away from our flaws. Most of us in the room, hopefully, are able to admit, yeah, I know, I'm not perfect. Like, I, you know, I, I have some flaws, sure. But when we can point out the flaws of someone else, we can shift the spotlight over to them. I mean, how many times, I don't know if you're like me, this is what I do. Anytime I'm, I feel like I'm criticized or something like that, I instantly go, yeah, well, what about you, though? <laughs> right? Like my wife's like, well, hey, I, I thought you said you were going to do this. My first instinct is to say, yeah, well, I mean, you didn't do this, though. <laughs> like you instantly want to pass the blame off to someone else. It gets you out of accountability. It means that you don't have to change. Well, you're the one who said this. Well, you, you didn't do this. And we want to justify uh, it, right, it gets us out of that stuff. And so why do we judge others? To shift the blame 
and also to feel better about ourselves. Why do we judge? To feel better about ourselves. And the thing is, if I am going to be honest, I think Christians can be really good at this. I mean, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You don't follow Jesus. And maybe this is one of the reasons why. Maybe you've been out of church for a long time because you felt like, dude, church is like a bunch of haters, man. They're just going to make me feel guilty and stuff. And if, if that's how you feel, I, I can understand that. But it's what we do to feel better about ourselves, right? I mean, if a lot of us have probably been there in a situation, right? Like uh, maybe you had a prayer meeting or something. And it's like, uh, hey, uh, hey, any prayer requests? Oh, yeah, I got one. Uh, you know, Sister Sally right now, um, she's going through a hard time. It's really bad. It's really ugly. I mean, she's making some bad decisions. It's terrible. I mean, I can't believe what she's doing right now. In fact, she's not telling anyone. She's only texting me. Let me read you the text she sent me. This is horrible. We need to pray. Like, and it can become a little bit of a gossip fest, right? Sometimes we can do that. And maybe we don't mean to go there. Maybe we do sometimes. But when we judge others, it's because now, now I feel better. Man, my problems, I know I'm not perfect, but man, I'm not as bad as them. Man, thank God I'm not like that person. And we can, we can point out somebody else's sin. If you're like me, I actually don't do this. I don't really judge people. My thing is, I don't like judgmental people. You know what I mean? Like, if you know a judgmental person, they're the worst. Like, they're, they're, they, they're so full of themselves. They think they're better than everyone. Like, I don't hang out with judgmental people. I, I, don't, even friend, I don't even friend judgmental people. <laughs> I sound pretty judgmental right now, don't I? <laughs> right? It's something that we all do. We all do it. And, in fact, this is how our whole society functions. This is exactly how our culture is right now. There's so much hate and judgment going around, and it's not limited to the church. I think Christians, I think we have a way that we do it, but everybody, our whole country does it, and we know that judging other people is damaging. We know that treating people this way is damaging. We become more polarized as a society. We get more angry with people. We write them off. Oh, you're like this? Well, I have nothing to do with you. Man, we don't associate with that anymore. Like, I have nothing to do with you. This is all you're allowed to be. I'm nothing like you. And we just judge other people. It's obvious how damaging this is. And if our country keeps working this way, if we continue to get more and more polarized and more and more judgmental towards each other, our country will break down. And I mean, think about it as the church. If our church were to function like this, our church would break down. I mean, sure, our church, First Assembly, but also just the church, the American church. We would break down if this is how we would live, and we definitely would not be a light to our world. I think probably a lot of us in the room feel like it's getting dark in our world, man, the way we're living, the way we're treating each other, and we want to be a light. We want to be different than how the world is around us. The Bible actually has a lot to say about our tendency to judge other people. There's a lot that it has to say. I mean, it says things like, you shouldn't judge. Don't judge other people. Then it also says, like, you should definitely judge. Judge people. Like, that's what it says that. It says, only God can judge. Maybe you're here, you're like, yeah, only God can judge me. Yeah, well, the Bible says that too, I guess, right? It says that the way you judge other people is the way that you'll be judged. So there's a lot that it has to say. But so today... I hope that you hear my heart in the context of what we're talking about. 
That's how I want to talk about judging. I'm not, I'm not preaching like an all-inclusive sermon about everything the Bible says about judging. I have so many verses if you want to talk after. But just in the context of what we're talking about, there's a story that perfectly illustrates Jesus' response, how Jesus feels and how Jesus wants us to live. And again, I think this is so appropriate for our society right now. We're talking about entering into an election season I mean, you remember how ugly it was just a couple years ago? How much uglier can it get? In the middle of a pandemic, we all got to wear masks. And with social issues, major social issues coming to the surface in our country, man, it's so appropriate. And so if you're here today and you're Christian, you follow Jesus, man, this is so important for us. This is so important for us to get this right, man, because this is how we will be a light to our world. And if you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian, I I hope that what we read today inspires you. Jesus is offering a better way to live than the way our world lives right now. And I would say this. I want to invite you to be part of this story, that you would see yourself in this story, because I believe that's the way that Jesus views you and the way that he views me. And so we're going to find this story in John chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. we got some in the chairs in front of you. John chapter 8. And... um, Just kind of some stuff to know about the story. You'll notice as you turn there, your Bible, it's going to say say in a couple different ways, but it'll say that this story doesn't appear in the oldest manuscripts. So what does that mean? What's going on here? Is this story even in the Bible? Like, what's what's happening? (laughs) Well, yes, it's in the Bible. You just opened your Bible. It's it's in the Bible. It's right there. Um, But what's going on? It says it's not in the oldest manuscripts. Well, the Bible that we have right now in front of you, this is an English translation of ancient manuscripts. And the story we're reading is in Gospel of John. It was written in uh, Koine Greek, it's called. And so the original Gospel of John, the very first one that was written by John, we actually don't have that. We don't know where it is. We don't know how it's probably destroyed. But what we do have is hundreds and actually thousands of copies of the Gospel of John. And what we do is we compare these copies to each other to kind of uh, decide, like, okay, this looks like what John probably originally wrote. And so this story actually doesn't uh, appear in the earliest manuscripts we have. So it was obviously added later. Scholars believe that it was most likely authentic, that it actually happened, it took place. And so what's the deal? Why was it added later? Again, I'm kind of like a Bible nerd. I I like this stuff. I like talking about it. Um, but most likely what happened is the early church, they knew about the story and it was passed down orally. You've got to remember that for the first 300 years of Christianity, they didn't have a leather-bound Bible like we did, uh, like we do today. What they did is they knew stories about Jesus, and you would go to the synagogue and you would read the Jewish scriptures, and you'd say, man, man, some of these scriptures seem like they really are talking about Jesus. And then they passed around letters, Paul wrote letters, were passing them around. And eventually we put it all together, and now we have it in our Bible, which is awesome. You can flip right to it. But so this story wasn't originally there, but it was passed down orally by the church. They all knew this story. And at some point, the church decided to add it in. And so people agree that John did not write this story, that it doesn't really look like John wrote it, um, but it was um, entered in by the church. And so despite knowing its history for 1,300 years, this story has been in our Bibles And so if we believe that the Holy Spirit has inspired uh, the collection of Scripture that we have today in our Bibles, then maybe the Holy Spirit helped to guide to keep this story in. And here's why I say that, too. There are other stories. There are other texts and other books that we've found that have come up. 
And we may say, okay, well, that's, that's forgery. That's fake. That's not really, that didn't happen, or that's not written by somebody authentic. Some of them uh, we label, they, they contradict Scripture. Some of them we know are historically accurate, but we wouldn't say it's inspired by God. That's what we would call the Apocrypha. You may find some of those in a Catholic Bible. Oh, yeah, it's historical, but we, we don't view that as inspired. This story, though, doesn't fit any of those categories. For 1,300 years, the church has felt that this is an important story to talk about in church. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk about it in church. It's an example that Jesus sets for us to follow. If you want to know more about this, uh, maybe why is it put in the Gospel of John? Why is it in John chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8? You know, the staff and I, we do a podcast on Mondays. You Listen to the podcast this week. We'll talk more about it. I don't want to totally bore you, but man, I love these details. And, you know, even when we talk about learning about the history of the Bible, maybe demystifying its origins a little bit, you know, that doesn't change its role in our lives. It doesn't change its divine inspiration and the authority that it has in our lives. And so, again, we're going to read this story about Jesus. And so what's going on? There's a tension going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And if you've been in church for any sort of time, you should know that the Pharisees are typically, right, the bad guys anytime there's a story. They're the religious and kind of political leaders for ancient Israel. And they were experts at following laws. All these laws, many of them were in the Bible, but many more of them were made up that they they had decided were extra. And they were so good at following these laws and they felt close to God for doing so. But they were probably talking about judging people They were probably experts, the most judgmental people that you could find. They were great at pointing out to other people, well, you're not really doing this right. Well, you don't wash your hands at the right time of day with the right water. Like, it it was so extra the way that they followed God. And then Jesus enters the scene. And Jesus is teaching love and compassion. Not only that, Jesus is forgiving people's sins. I mean, only God can do that. But Jesus is saying that he has the authority to do that. Jesus is coming on the scene as a new authority equal with God. And he says things like, well, you know what? Yeah, sure, listen to what the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do. They're hypocrites. (laughs) Jesus is saying, well, it doesn't matter all the rules you follow. That's not going to get you into heaven. You need to follow me. And man, so the Pharisees are not okay with this. Jesus is suggesting that they have to change the way they live, that they have to change, that their attitude towards God isn't right. And they're not okay with that. And so, This happens, they want to trip him up, and so this story takes place. And so that's kind of the context for our story. So reading in John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. So Jesus is teaching publicly. And the Pharisees come and uh, they come to test him publicly. They interrupt him. He's in the middle of preaching in a sense almost. Imagine somebody walks in here. Pastor Matt, they got something to say. Like, can we talk after church, please? I'm in the middle of something. That's how it works. And most of us should know what adultery is, right? Cheating on your husband or wife, cheating on your spouse. And today we would say, well, that's not a good thing. You shouldn't do that. Nobody really looks at that as like a goal today. But back then it was even worse. 
It was illegal in Jewish culture, and you could die for doing this. And so this was a big deal, and the Pharisees knew that Jesus knew how serious this crime was. And so they want to know, how is he going to respond? Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were saying this. They were trying to trap him to say something that they could use against him. They're trying to trap Jesus. If Jesus says, yeah, you know what? You're right. It's what the law says. We should stone her. Well, it would go against Jesus' growing reputation as somebody who, again, preached love and compassion and forgiveness. Plus, um, at that time, they actually couldn't carry this out. They couldn't kill anybody because they were occupied by the Roman Empire. And so they couldn't carry out a stoning. And so possibly if Jesus said, yeah, let's stone her, maybe they would have reported him to the Roman authorities. And so they're trying to trip him up that way. Or if he said, no, we're not going to do this. This is a person. We need to forgive her. That would be devaluing God's law that they all agreed to live by. And Jesus is a teacher of God's law. And so it would undermine his credibility as a teacher. Either way, they would be defaming his name. And the Pharisees would be getting out of accountability with Jesus. They wouldn't have to take him or his words seriously anymore. And neither would anybody else. And so how does Jesus respond? Jesus stooped down. And wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus doesn't immediately say anything. (laughs) In fact, this actually struck me when I was reading the story. No, we don't really know what he's writing. I mean, for all we know, he was drawing pictures. I mean, because of how the story continues to unfold, most scholars think that he was writing the sins of the accusers. And that, I think, makes sense. But we don't actually know. But I thought of this. They come to Jesus. Jesus, we caught this woman. Jesus, you see this sinner right here? She's an adulterer. What are you going to do about it, God? And he doesn't even say anything. What about when, like, you and me come to God? And we're like, God, I missed the bus again, and it's my dumb brother's fault. He's the one who always makes me late, God. What's wrong with him? When are you going to change this? When are you going to fix this situation? Lord, how about this group of people? I'm sick of them. They're horrible. I don't even want to be with them anymore, God. What are you going to take care of this? Maybe God is like, really? Is this what you want to talk to me about? How about all the other things that I want to talk to you about? How about all the other things I'm trying to get a hold of in your life right now, in your heart, and and you want to come to me with, With this? Obviously, the Pharisees were getting frustrated. Verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And this is why Jesus is incredible. This is like a mic drop moment for Jesus. Jesus doesn't play into their gotcha politics. This one or that one, Jesus. Which one are you going to do? Because if you're this, you're that. And if you're that, you're this. Now, Jesus 
offers a third option. Jesus values the law of God, but he values this woman as well. He loves and values this person. Maybe you're here today. Again, you're not a Christian and you have felt judged. Maybe you felt like you are, you're a sinner. You, you've, you've committed sins. Maybe that's true. That's actually what's happened. But maybe you felt judged even by religious people. And so you've been kind of wanted to get away from church. You've been away from Christianity. In fact, these religious people, they were using Bible verses to condemn this woman. Honestly, it wasn't even about the woman. They were just trying to get out of accountability with Jesus. It had nothing to do with her. She was just a tool. They just wanted to feel better about themselves. And religious people, again, can be really good at this sometimes. In fact, I mean, this whole event was probably staged. If you know the verse that they're talking about, the law of Moses that they're quoting, well, we should be stoning her. It says that uh, the man and the woman, both parties, I mean, and talk about it, caught in the act of adultery. (laughs) Dude, that's weird. That's awkward. Like, I mean, I was an RA in college, okay? I was resident assistant, and we had open dorm, uh, like, for guys and girls. We had separate dorms, and so you could go in sometimes, and the door had to be open. And one time, the door was, like, kind of cracked. I was like, yo, this is weird. So I opened it, and I was like, well, okay. But they were clothed and everything. So I can't imagine, like, what are you talking about? This is weird. It was, it was probably staged. It had nothing to do with her they, uh, or, or the guy, nothing. They were judging her all to shift the blame and to feel better about themselves. But Jesus values this woman. She's not simply an adulterer. She's not simply a sinner. Jesus sees beyond this. And if you're here today and you have felt judged, maybe you feel condemned, maybe even by religious people, who knows? Jesus sees beyond that. Jesus sees beyond your decisions. Jesus sees beyond the labels that people have given you. That's the way he views you, and it's the way he views me. He sees us, and he offers us something better. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? Of course, Jesus knows. I mean, he's kind of making a point, I guess, right? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What makes this so powerful is that the only one who was perfect in this situation, the only one who had no sin, the only one who could qualify as a judge, did not judge her. Don't miss this. What the woman did was wrong. Jesus says, go and sin no more. He called it for what it is. You've sinned. This is wrong. It's not okay. And I don't want you to continue living this way. In fact, if you're here and you're like, right, only God can judge me. We shouldn't be judging. Man, the only way to be forgiven of sin is to admit that you have some. You, You have to call it for what it is. She's a sinner. She's sinned. But even then, Jesus doesn't leave her there. Jesus doesn't identify her as that only. Jesus didn't judge her. He offered her something else. He offered her a chance she didn't deserve he offered her grace. Oh, man, and if you're, if you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, you have experienced that grace. You've experienced that grace from Jesus. How wonderful it is. He doesn't condemn. He viewed her and he views you and me as redeemable, 
as, 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 that he wants to restore us. You know, when we judge people, we just write them off. We don't view them as redeemable. We just say, well, that's who you are. That's what you do. I have nothing to do with that anymore. I don't associate with people like that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, uh, Jesus redeems us. And thousands of years later, man, we have a tendency to be just like the Pharisees, right? We want to label and judge people. We want to feel superior. We see what people maybe post on social media. We're like, man, what, who did you vote for? What did you do? Oh my gosh, wait, hold on. Is that a, is that a drink in the background on that picture there? Or did they use a swear word in that, in that Facebook status? Man, I don't do that. What the, why am I even friends with this person? Man, we like to do the same thing because we feel better about ourselves. We shift the blame. We have rocks just like the Pharisees did. Our rocks just look a little bit different, don't they? And man, this is exactly how our society functions. This is why we're so polarized as a country. I'm not talking Christians. I'm talking everybody. This is what we do. We paint a caricature of somebody. Okay, oh, you did this. You vote for this. You talk this way. You're into this stuff. Okay, well, this is who you, oh, I know who you are. That's who you are. And now we attack that person. We, we shift the blame to them. Well, you're the reason that this happened in our country. Or you're the reason that our country's messed up. And then we say, man, I'm such a good person because I've pointed out all their flaws. But really, all we've done is throw rocks. That's all we've done. But no matter what our weapons look like, no matter what our rocks look like, Jesus set the example Jesus modeled how he wants us to live. Hey, if you, he who's never sinned, you throw the first stone. Jesus extended grace. Put it this way, and again, if you're writing down notes, Jesus' example for us is to drop the rock. Drop the rock. Jesus' example for his followers is to extend grace. Followers of Jesus go where Jesus goes. A disciple of Jesus does what he does. A disciple is a student. Jesus is my teacher. Jesus teaches this. I do this. Jesus does this. He goes here. I go there. So Jesus' example is to drop the rock for his followers. Jesus is always about redemption and restoration. In fact, this is one of the reasons that I love, I love John's gospel. And I think, I actually think this is one of the reasons that the story was strategically placed here. is because Jesus, uh, John doesn't just give us a list of Jesus' commands and teachings. So here's what he taught, and that's it. G, uh, John, instead, he paints these pictures of one-on-one encounters with, that Jesus has with somebody so we can get a picture of Jesus' heart towards somebody. So we can see ourselves in that story, put ourselves into the story, and say, this is how Jesus feels towards me. Man, I love it. We get a look at his heart. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The way that I live, the way that I teach, the the things that I do, that's how God wants it to be. So again, man, if you're here and you have felt judged, maybe you feel like God has judged you. Maybe you feel like God is looking down at you, ready to smite you. Jesus says, no, look at my example. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I see you as more than just a sin. Maybe you're here, you feel judged because of your sin. Yeah, maybe you are a sinner. Maybe you've, maybe you've done something. You, you have done something, in fact. That's what the Bible tells us. But Jesus sees you as more than that, and he wants to do more in your life than just that. And I want to be honest. Jesus has dropped a rock. If, if you go to the Bible, the Bible says a lot more about judging. It really does. I almost made this a whole section of the sermon, and I thought, you know what? We're going to get carried away. 
But I'll give this to you. If you want to write it down, you can. The Bible has more to say about judging. The Bible says, yes, we should judge. We should judge for wisdom. We should judge for wisdom. We should judge uh, for discernment. We should judge for accountability. What do those mean? We should judge for wisdom. Okay, is this a good decision or a bad decision? Is this going to help me get closer to God or is it going to help me get, uh, am I going to get further from God? That's wisdom, making wise choices. If you have a history of doing something, uh, we want to plug you in, in the right place, right? Like just using wisdom. Yes, we should, we should judge. We should judge for discernment. Is this right or wrong? Okay, yeah, absolutely, discernment. For accountability, the Bible talks about judging each other kind of in the body of Christ, like saying, holding each other accountable. Hey, man, I know you said you love God, but I'm noticing this pattern in your life. I'm noticing how you talk to people. I'm noticing how you act. I'm noticing that you said you're staying up late every night, kind of doing this thing. You know, you said you follow Jesus. Uh, I want to help keep you accountable. So, yeah, we should judge in that sense. The Bible says that. I can give you lots of verses if you want. But the Bible also says, no, we should not judge. That it's God's job to judge. And if we're trying to avoid responsibility, no, we're, it's not supposed to be us who judges. And so maybe I, I kind of view it this way. This, again, hope maybe this will help you. This is how I think about it in my head. Yes, we are to make a judgment call. We are to make a judgment call. Hey, is this the right decision or the wrong decision? Hey, is this sin in my life? Yes or no? Right? If I'm not judging sin, what am I doing? Eh, I think God doesn't care. No, no. I'm supposed to make a judgment call, absolutely, even uh, in, in relationship with each other. Hey, I think, are you doing this? Like, let me help you out. We are to make a judgment call, but we aren't to judge other people. We aren't to judge other people. We can make a judgment call, maybe even about a person. Okay, is this person going to influence me the right way? Sure, but we're not going to judge other people. That's God's job. So for us, we want to follow Jesus' example to drop the rock. Again, God is always about redemption and restoration. It's simple. That's all it takes, dropping the rock. It's not easy. It's not easy to just love people and not judge them. It's not easy. It's part of what we do. And so in order to drop the rock, I want to give us, what does that look like? I want to look at the words and the teachings of Jesus. Maybe you're here, you're like, Matt, you got this whole sermon from like a maybe story. It's kind of sketch. Like, all right, well, let's look at, I'm going to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus teaches Here's what he says about how we should live when it comes to this topic. How can you drop the rock? First, stop measuring sin. Stop measuring sin and deciding which ones are worse than other ones. Again, I mean, like, I'm not an adulterer. Gosh, man, people like that. that I mean, I'm glad. Maybe you're listening to this story, and you're like, uh, you're like yes, isn't it so nice that Jesus really helped that adulterous woman out? Because she was dirty, man. She was, she was a bad person. I mean, you wouldn't have caught me doing that, obviously. I'm not like that at all. I'm so glad that Jesus showed her grace. Isn't it nice? Sometimes maybe you think, I think this way. It's horrible. I'm being so real right now. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, like, well, I know I'm a sinner and everything, but I feel like if I'm kind of on a special list, though, right, because I'm a little bit better than some of the other people around. So if, if God had, like, a special list of people he needs to forgive, like, I- I'm all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you're, we're measuring sin. But no, here's, if you think, oh, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not like the woman, here's what Jesus teaches about adultery. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart.
You ever done a double take? (laughs) Well, Jesus says you can be stoned just like this woman. We got to stop measuring sin and thinking we're better than other people. Now, I'll say this. Here's what I'll say. I think that it's true that there are different consequences to, to our sins. In fact, I think maybe that's why we do measure them. I think when you gossip about somebody, the immediate, perceived immediate consequences are not the same as maybe a sexual sin. I think what's involved in that, a lot of times the consequences may be bigger and greater. And so maybe that's why we do measure sin. And hey, again, as Christians, we want to make sure we're, 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 we're walking along according to God's ways. And so we want, to, we want to be careful of those things. We need to be smart. We need to be wise. Again, I, I, use wisdom and discernment. Make a judgment call. Absolutely. But we don't want to measure sin and think that we're better. Well, I don't, I don't really need God's forgiveness or, or whatever. We've got to stop measuring sin and deciding which ones are better. That's what Jesus modeled for us. But what else? Stop measuring sin and see the story. See the story. Jesus says this. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the Law and the Prophets. Think about the Pharisees. They live up to all these rules. Well, I'm sure God's really happy with me. Jesus is like, all right, I'll sum it up for you. Just treat other people the way you want to be treated. Wow, it's that simple. You know how I want to be treated? That if I mess up, that if I sin, if I say something I shouldn't have said, if I do something I shouldn't have done, I would really love for you to extend some grace to me. I would love for you to say, all right, Matt, I know you messed up, but I know you're more than just one decision. I know you're more than just one mess up. I would love for you to look at me that way. I would love for you to not throw a stone. I'd love to not die because I, <laughs> because I did something one time. Maybe it was a sin. It was wrong. I should not have done that. But I would love for you to extend grace to me in those moments. And if that's how I want you to treat me, I should be able to treat you the same way. We should be able to treat others the same way, the way I want to be treated. Man, that person that you're tempted to judge, that person that you've got a problem with, they have a story. All of us have a story, and that story affects the way that we live. Maybe that person who, again, has a different value system than you, maybe they, I don't know, they party on the weekends and you think that's messed up or they, I don't know, they, they drink too much or I, I don't know, I don't know. Whoever it is you're tempted to judge, they have a story. And, and the, the temptation is we think we know the story. We think we know it, but we don't. And who knows what I would do if I had their story? It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it right, but we can extend grace. Dr. Clyde Naramore, he said this. He was a Christian, famous Christian counselor, psychologist, he, he was at the White House, three different president, presidential administrations, the Pentagon, the State Department, CIA. His kind of life motto was this. Everyone is worth understanding. Everyone is worth understanding. And again, that's the temptation in our culture right now. We think that understanding means approval. Man, talk about elections, right? The last election, I was talking to my friend. I was like, hey, well, you know, I can understand why someone would vote for this person. We're not even talking about sin right now. We're just talking about a vote. I was like, well, I can understand why someone would vote this way. And she was like, Matt, how could you agree with that? I said, I I don't agree with, I didn't even vote for that person. I'm just saying I can understand why a person would feel that way. Well, how how could you be okay with that? I didn't say I was okay with it. I said, I can understand how a person would make that decision. 
I don't agree, but I understand. Our society doesn't know how to do this anymore. Our society doesn't know how to empathize. We don't know how to talk to somebody who's different than us. And again, we're not even talking about sin. And so, man, church, we have an opportunity to be different than the world around us. Man, the darker the world gets around us, the the brighter our light can shine. To me, it's easier to shine as a Christian because people don't live according to these values anymore. So when we can empathize, when we can understand somebody who's different than us, man, we are already different than people around us, and we're following the example of Jesus when we can see the story. We have an opportunity to model this. So Jesus' example is to drop the rock. So what do we do? Stop measuring sin. See the story. And focus on you. Focus on you. Jesus teaches this as well in the Sermon on the Mount. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, oh, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Man, for some of us, if you're like me, I've heard this so many times growing up. I I grew up going to church. And so sometimes you hear this language, you think it doesn't apply anymore because you're familiar with it. But Jesus is using hyperbole. A a, a log in your eye, that's not even possible. That's ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's what it looks like when you judge other people, especially your brothers in Christ. But that's what it looks like. So, man, we have to focus on what God is trying to do in our life. He doesn't say that you can't help your brother out. Your brother does have a speck. Once you can get that, deal with the log in your eye, now you can help your brother. He's not saying ignore your brother, but he's saying, come on, man, don't, don't come to me saying, I can't believe the speck in my brother's eye when you've got a log in your own. I'm trying to do something in your life. Would you let me work on you? Because here's the thing, we can't change people by judging them. Nobody changes because they were judged. I mean, our, our world knows that, right? Come on, who even, who, who says that? Who says, man, I got to say, this is how I was living, and then I was judged so hard, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to change now. I feel so much better about myself. I realized I was wrong. Like, nobody does that. Nobody. We, the, the world knows that. We know that. And so we can be the model. And when I tell you to focus on you, I'm not saying that in like a selfish way. Oh, well, just ignore other people. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying it for you to feel guilty about yourself. Oh, you're right. Oh, I, I am. I messed up. I'm horrible. God, you, you can never use me. I, I don't even deserve anything from you. I, I just, I'm the worst, God. Just, you know, I don't know, trample on me. I, I'm worthless. I'm not trying to give you a sense of shame or guilt. Here's what I believe. The sooner you can experience the grace of Jesus, the sooner you can extend that grace to other people. God, thank you so much that you love me. Thank you that you've forgiven me, Lord God. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your love and forgiveness. It's true. Sometimes I think I do, and maybe that's the sin right there. But Lord, thank you that you see me as more than my sin. You see me as more than my pride. You see me as more than all my past decisions, Lord God. And Lord, if that's how you feel about me, help me to model that. Help me to show that to someone else. That's what you want to do through me, Jesus. What would it look like if the church began to drop the rock? What would it look like if the church dropped the rock? In a practical sense, what would we be posting on social media, Facebook and Instagram? What would we be posting? What would we be saying to other Christians? What would we, how would we be talking to our family members, 
to people who aren't Christian? What changes would I have to make when it comes to the way that I joke around? What would it look like if the church dropped the rock? And Pastor Bonnie, you can come give us some music as we wrap up here. We said that we all have a tendency to judge other people. I mean, it's natural. What do we do? We want to shift the blame. We want to feel better about ourselves. But Jesus set the example for us. He showed us, hey, drop the rock. Yeah, the, the Bible says a lot about judging. Yes, make a judgment call. Use wisdom and discernment. We're not saying that. We're not saying drop that. But drop judging other people. Drop, drop trying to shift the blame and feel better about yourself. And we said, how do you do that? He taught us. He said, hey, stop measuring sin. Jesus, Jesus uh, tells us, treat other people the way you want to treat them. So you know what? I'm going to see the story. I'm going to understand that that person I'm tempted to judge. Well, that's a person and they have a story. And I'm going to focus on me. Because Jesus says, man, how could I judge the speck when I've got a log in my own eye? And why? Not to feel guilty about myself, not to make it all about me, but because the sooner I can experience the grace that Jesus has in my life, I can extend that grace to other people. Man, I believe people really respond to that, to compassion and mercy and grace and love. I think that's what makes Jesus so awesome. And we get to model that. And so here's what I want to do. I'll invite you to stand to your feet today as we wrap up. My question is, is it possible that there are some rocks in your life that Jesus would have you put down? If you say, man, you really want to take, you know, the sermon uh, seriously today, you say, man, I I want to live this out. I just want to ask you some critical questions today. Maybe you could take a picture on your phone if you want or something like that. But what group or what person or group of people are you tempted to throw rocks at? Maybe what rocks are you tempted to throw? If we want to live this out and say, God, I want to drop the rock. What are the rocks that I throw sometimes? Who's a person that you can ask to hear their story this week? We said to see the story. That doesn't mean that you understand, uh, that, that you approve of everything, but you can understand somebody. So who's a person maybe that you can say, all right, what's their story? Instead of a rock to hurt other people, what would Jesus have you pick up in its place? If you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian, man, I want to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just have a moment of privacy. Uh, I want to let you know that God loves you and he sees you as so much more than just a sinner, than just a decision or a series of decisions. That's illustrated by the story today. Jesus views you as more than a sinner, more than how people have labeled you. I want to let you know that you can be a new creation today. Jesus The Jesus in this story can be the Jesus in your life. Why? Not because Jesus is is just an analogy for good vibes or a feel-good pill or something. Jesus' life, death on the cross for our sins, and then his resurrection from the dead is why we believe in him. And that's why we follow him. Not just because it's some good ideas, although I think it's some good ideas. Jesus has beaten death. He showed that he has the authority over death and the grave, and that's why we can trust him. And so if you're here today and you don't follow God, you don't know Jesus, God's not looking to condemn you. He's not looking to mess you up. God loves you, and he wants you to know this love that he has for you. So if you're here and you'd like to make that decision today, I won't embarrass you, I won't call you up front or something, but I would like to lead you in a prayer. If you say, 
I would love to ask Jesus into my heart. I, would, I don't know everything about God. I don't know everything about religion. But I want to walk out of here knowing that I'm not what other people have labeled me, that I'm more. I, I want to see myself the way that Jesus sees me. If that's you, you can raise your hand today because I want to lead you in a prayer if you're here today. I want to give that opportunity. Awesome. Well, hey, so let's do this instead as we're continuing to have our eyes closed. Same thing, I want to pray for you here today. Um, you know, a lot of times we will come up to the altar or something, but so today let's do it like this. You know, when you come to the altar, those physical steps represent spiritual steps that I'm taking. It's not magical, but it just means, hey, God, I want to get my life right with you. And so if you're here today and maybe hopefully something has resonated with you, hey, Jesus, I want to drop the rock just like you did. Maybe you realize, maybe some, a person or a group of people have come to your mind. Maybe, uh, you know, I've got to stop measuring sin. That's it. That was the one that hit you. I, I don't know. I, I'm just talking at this point. But if you say, man, I, I want to live out the example that Jesus has for me. I'm not judging you. Here's what I'd ask you to do. Can you raise your hand right now so I can pray with you? Eyes are closed. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Again, as you raise your hand, a couple hands are going up right now. As you raise your hand, it represents a spiritual step, just like you would at the altar. I say, hey, I want to make sure I get my life right with God. I, Jesus, I want to be a light to those around me. I want to be different than the world around me. I don't want to just be judging people to shift the blame and feel better about myself. I, God, I want you to use me to be different. Thank you. I see your hands, all your hands. And so let's do this. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you for your love and the truth of your word, Lord God. Man, talk about relevant. Talk about it has to do with exactly what we're dealing with right now. And so, God, I pray for all of my friends here today, Lord God, that they wouldn't feel judged. They wouldn't have that sense of shame or guilt, Lord God. But instead, we can see our need for you just like the woman in the story, Lord God. That, that Lord, uh, we would see you have forgiven us. You see us more uh, than just a decision, than just our sin. And so God, help us to extend that to other people, whatever that may look like. Maybe we need to identify rocks in our life. What do we throw at people? Maybe we need to uh, do different things. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk out of here different than the way we walked in today, Lord. I thank you so much, God, in your name. Amen.